Thank you. That song. Wow. I uh, appreciate that song so much and the Do It Again song. I asked Tim, I said, hey, can you sing that Do It Again song this week? And he said, well, we did it last week, but we can do it again. I said, okay. Thanks, Tim. It's really good to be here. Let's pray. Father, thank you for another day of life and help us to receive it with gratitude. Father, we, we stand in awe of the way you work through our darkness and difficult times to accomplish your will. Give us the trust uh, to see that and to know that. Help us to remember who we are and uh, help us not to be afraid. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in the 1980s, I say that a lot, I don't know why. Back in the 1980s, during my last year at Lipscomb University in Nashville, Tennessee, I was asked to work with Laotian refugees. Some of you remember the boat people. Anybody remember the boat people? They were called boat people because they were living in Laos and the communists were taking over and they were uh, chasing the Laotians down to kill them. So they were literally running to the Mekong River and they would get in these rickety boats to escape. And if they could get across the Mekong River into Thailand, then they would be safe. And they would end up in refugee camps, and from those refugee camps, the boat people were uh, placed all over the world. And a lot of them came to the United States, and a significant number came to Nashville, Tennessee. And the churches did a wonderful job of reaching out to these refugees, and that's how I got involved. Somebody said, hey, would you like to help teach English to these people? And I said, I guess, that'd be great. And so it, it was a, a really wonderful experience I was young and, and uh, don't think like I do today in lots of ways, and so I was not afraid to go where they lived, and they lived in the literally the worst parts of Nashville, places that probably weren't safe to, to be in at times, especially at night. But you know what? They were, they were so happy. They were so thankful because they were alive. They had nothing, but they were so happy to be alive, and we shared the gospel with them. We baptized a whole bunch of them. And we had a, we had a church of about 60 Laotian refugees. And uh, as I got to know them better and their English improved, I heard their horrific stories of seeing their villages destroyed, uh, being chased. Uh, I remember one kid uh, drew a picture, and it was... It was graphic and it was terrible. It was a picture of a death that he had witnessed. And, um, you know, sadly, after I graduated, I lost touch with them. And I moved far, far away and didn't know what happened to them. But as I, as I thought about them, I thought, you know, this is, a, this is a, a profound picture of people who have been thrust out of what's comfortable, dislocated, and disoriented. But by the grace of God and the guidance of God, they are also a picture of people who have been relocated redemptively and reoriented. So they're a wonderful picture. Today we begin a series of sermons from Daniel, and our text today is just two verses. I think it said three, but I think it's two. But anyway, it's okay. So it's Daniel 1, 1 and 2, and it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, 
king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These, Nebuchadnezzar, carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. It's just two verses. It's 65 words because I counted. And yet, it's easy to pass over, but, but this, is, this, is a, this is a time of absolute devastation to the people of God. It's, it's, a, it's a great disorienting event, and it, the destruction of Jerusalem, we'll talk about it a little bit more in a minute, it takes place over several years, and it's in three big punches, three big waves, 605, 597, 587. And so Daniel is carried away in that first wave in 605. And he's there when the, the other two waves of destruction hit. And it's that final wave of destruction that becomes such a big deal because in 587, the, the city is totally destroyed and the temple is just flattened. The temple of God, the holy temple of God. And so Daniel must have heard of that news as he's already in Babylon. It must have been just so devastating in his disorientation to know that that city and that temple that he loves so much is now fallen. I want to give just a, a brief history lesson because I think it'll help us this morning. You know, after the flood in Genesis, God chooses to get up close and personal with one couple, right? He gets up close and personal with Abraham and Sarah and says, I will do a miracle through you. You'll produce a miracle child. And through your family, I will develop a nation that will bless the whole world. And so from Abraham and Sarah, we have this nation, this group of people who come. They're called various names throughout history, but you know them as the Israelites, the Hebrews, the Jews. And they become a very powerful nation. And their, their role in relationship with God was to show the rest of the world how to live. How to respond to the holiness of God. And they were to invite other people to, to become a part of them. You know, they kind of hit their peak during the days of King David, if you know the history. And then during the days of King Solomon, who follows David, they build this temple. And the temple becomes an intersection of heaven and earth. It's a place where God says, I will dwell. I will be there. If you want a place to see me and, and touch me in a sense, there it is. I'm everywhere, but I'll be right there. That'll help you. I'll be in the temple. The temple is this amazing structure. People estimate because of the gold in it and the other precious materials that it was worth in excess of a billion dollars, probably more. And so the people of God had this wonderful relationship with God. Sadly, they did not respond well to it, especially in prosperity. And so often they lived apathetically at best, and often they lived in abject rebellion at worst. And God sent prophets. He sent people. He said, hey, you, you better straighten up. I'm, I'm warning you. I'm warning you. People didn't do it for the most part. So God said, you know what? After centuries of being long-suffering and centuries of being patient, a time of judgment is coming. And he warns them. Well, the time of judgment is the destruction of Jerusalem. It's the destruction of the holy temple that he had allowed to happen. And, it, and it's symbolic of his presence leaving. 
And so what happens in 605, 597, 587, uh, the destruction takes place. And as a part of ancient Near Eastern warfare, you would take the people you conquered and you would displace them. So the people of God are taken to Babylon for a period of 70 years to disorient them. It's disorientation. And so this Babylonian captivity, as it's called, or the exile, which is a really big deal in the Bible, becomes symbolic of dislocation, of disorientation. And so that's, that's the context behind the book of Daniel. And so the man Daniel, the person Daniel, is a picture of how God works in and through all these challenges of disorientation. And so the next several weeks, uh, Tim and others, I guess, will, will be unpacking that. And it's going to be a very exciting series. Today I want us to think about disorientation. Walter Brueggemann is one of my favorite theologians. He's an Old Testament scholar of great renown. And he, he does a lot of work in the Psalms. And he says, in the Psalms, you can see this pattern of orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. And so three words. And orientation is basically, hey, life is fine. Everything's good. It's okay. We're cruising along just fine. And then reorientation is when we get back to that. Everything's fine. Everything's good. We're fine. But it's a disorientation. It's a disorientation that's in the middle. And as the picture, if it's still up there, yeah, it shows that's where life happens. That's where life happens. And so disorientation is when we have to, uh, to flee for our lives as Nebuchadnezzar and his guys are coming. It's when we have to cross the Mekong River into safety. It's when you hear the diagnosis that you don't want to hear. It's divorce in all of its stages. It's death, expected and unexpected. Disorientation is when dreams are destroyed and we realize that life will never be the same. It's not what we expected, it's not what we wanted. It's disorienting, so disorienting. And disorientation can be when God seems to be distant or God is absent. It's when God seems to make no sense for some of us. It's when your faith is shaken or really shaky, even if it, if it even survived, the disorienting event. It's when we are in a thick, confusing fog where we ask questions and all the questions begin with, one three-letter word, why? Why did that happen? Why? I don't understand. Why? It's when they ask those questions and there's no good answers or there's no answers at all. It's when fear shows up. It's when stuff happens. Disorientation is the stuff of the unexpected, the unanticipated. It's the stuff of tragedy. You know what it is. Probably a lot of us are living in it today. You don't know the whole story. Some of you do, but uh, for the last couple of years, I've been living in a high state of disorientation. And it's not any fun. There's periods of deep darkness. There's uh, periods of depression. Uh, it's just no fun. Time of crying out to God. Why? Why? Show me. 
tell me, do something, help me here. I still trust you, but I, I can't see you, I can't hear you. I, please, please. I'm sure some of you are experiencing that right now. We'll talk about it, how to get out of that in just a minute. You know, Daniel successfully moves from disorientation to reorientation. And so we want to know how to do the same. How can we do the same? How do we get there? And of course, the answer involves God. And, and as usual, he takes the initiative. He makes the first move. And it's then our responsibility to respond to that. And it always comes down to trust, faith, belief, however you want to look at it. We simply have to believe what he says. I love Isaiah 43. Isaiah writes in the 8th century B.C., he's one of the prophets that warns these people, you better straighten up or something bad's going to happen. But around chapter 40, the book of Isaiah changes, and it, it's, it's like he projects himself into the future 200 years. Uh, by the inspiration of God, he's able to see the people who have already been conquered, already been carried off to Babylon. They're sitting by the rivers of Babylon. And Daniel, or uh, Isaiah rather, writes about what he sees and he sees the people living there the city of Jerusalem the temple's been destroyed and they're sitting in Babylon they're discouraged they're depressed they're disoriented can you see them they're wondering if God loves them does God even care does he even know they're there they got a lot of questions. They've been, been defeated by the armies of Nebuchadnezzar. They're probably having flashbacks every day of, of the flashing swords and uh, the powerful war horses and the soldiers. And they probably witnessed horrific death and destruction. And they're sitting there. What is going on? What are we supposed to do now? And they remember the temple where they dedicated their children. Now it's gone. They're captives. They're exiles in Babylon. Nothing makes sense. They're in absolute disorientation. And I want us to sit with them just a second this morning. I think we can identify. And so we ask, what are we supposed to do now? We may be full of shame over stupid stuff that we did. What are we supposed to do now? We're confused, we're discouraged, we're depressed, and we're full of questions that begin with why. And it's into this disorientation in Isaiah 43 that God speaks. It's kind of shocking what he says, surprising at the least, because he speaks words of comfort. He speaks words of reorientation. Listen, listen to them, because they're for you and for me. He says... Now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom and Cush and Seba in your stead. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. 
These are the people who were being punished for their sins, and yet God, God says this. Did you hear what he said? Just, just put it in your life. He says, do not fear. You can tell fear to go back where it belongs because an unholy fear comes out of the depths of hell. He says, I have redeemed you. I'm fixing what you did wrong. I'll fix it. I'll make something good come from it. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. I will be with you. I love this. You are precious and honored in my sight. I love you. Do not be afraid. I am with you. Can you imagine how these people living in disorientation receive that? They're wondering if God even cares. And he's saying, look, I do care and I understand and I'm not giving up on you. I, I want to move you to a place of reorientation. You know, the big takeaway is God loves us. He's for us. He's not against us. He may be silent in some ways, but he still speaks through his word. He may be invisible. He may seem to be absent, but he is present. And a little bit later, I, I almost couldn't believe what Connie said in her meditations this morning. And we had not talked, and she didn't know what the sermon's about. But look at verses 18 and 19. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Can you see it? He says, I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. And so he's saying, look, yeah, it happened. Yes, here we're, this is where you are, but just, you know what? I still love you. You're still mine. I, I, uh, I want you to, to not dwell on the past. I want you to, to move beyond it. Leave behind the past and the painful disorienting questions and situations and, and leave that behind and embrace the new thing. Embrace the new thing that God is doing. The focus is now on the future. We look at the past and say, yes, it happened. We learn from it. We repent. We forgive. Whatever we need to do and say, okay, it's there. I know it's there. It's always going to be there. But now I'm going forward because God's calling me to reorientation. He's calling me to a new thing. Reorientation is a gift of grace. We don't deserve it. It's something that we believe in order to receive. It's a new thing. It's a new way of seeing life and living in it. It requires our trust in God and God's ability to do it. He's earned that trust if we'll pay attention. Of course, for, for us, we're way ahead of uh, the Old Testament people because we have Jesus and so Jesus, if you think about him through the lens of orientation, disorientation, reorientation, he's, he's a perfect example of it because he was oriented with his Father in heaven. He comes to this land of disorientation. He experiences extreme disorientation. Uh, best examples would be the temptation right after he's baptized, thrust into the wilderness, and then the Garden of Gethsemane, those bookends of disorientation. But you know what? He moves through the disorientation, trusting his father the whole time, and he moves into reorientation. Is there a better reorientation than resurrection and ascension? It's, just, it's a perfect example. And, and so Jesus understands it all. And he then, listen to what he says, he invites us to learn about reorientation. He says, come to me, all of you who are 
disoriented, weary, carrying heavy burdens. I'll give you reorientation. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you'll find reorientation. You'll find rest for your souls. So what do we need to do? It's really kind of simple to see, difficult to practice as usual. So what do we do to move from disorientation to reorientation? We hear what God says. Faith comes by hearing, right? Romans 10. So we hear the word of God, we hear the word of Christ, and as he speaks, and he's, he's speaking, saying, you are precious, you are honored in my sight, even though you messed up big time, I still love you, and I'm not going to leave you. And so then, we have to trust. That song, Do It Again, made me well up with tears again today. For the last year, as we've sang that song I, every time, because it's been my prayer, do it again, God, please. And then this new song. But to, to trust that God is working and, uh, and that we follow his lead, the essence of faith is trusting God with all the unanswered questions. That's the essence of faith. All right, I don't understand. I don't understand any of it. I don't like it, but I'm going to trust you. And then finally, we say, all right, from that position of trust, which may waver at times, I'm going to allow him to work. I know it could take a while. It could take a while, so I'm going to be patient. You know, uh, years, years after I graduated from Lipscomb passed, many years passed, and I had no idea where the Laotian refugees were. I'd heard from people in Nashville that they had moved to California, but I didn't know where. And probably seven or eight years ago, out of the blue, I get a Facebook request from Silas Chaw. I immediately recognized that name as one of the little boys that I had worked with in that church in Nashville. And so I was stunned. So Silas and I got on the phone and we talked for a long time and I caught up and we laughed and we cried, learned about his parents had died and what had happened. And it was, uh, it was a powerful phone call. That was seven or eight years ago and Silas, I mean, we don't have much in common so we really haven't communicated much at all over the last seven or eight years. Well, in December, a lot of you don't even probably don't even know this, but in December, my disorientation was at the highest it'd probably been in two years because I was waiting to hear whether I was going to be on staff at Sherwood Oaks, which I am. I don't know if you know that or not. <laughs> and I, I felt like God had called me to that, and that's what I really wanted to do, but also there was a high risk that it wasn't going to happen. It's very disorienting because if... All of my eggs were in that basket, basically. And if it didn't happen, I had no clue what I was going to do. Just didn't know. Well, right in the middle, it's right before Christmas. I think it's December 23rd. Right in the middle of that, I get a Facebook message from Silas Chaw. And I opened it, 
And it says, Alan, so strange. I had a dream about you and our time in Nashville the other night. And he went on to say some of the most encouraging, um, heartwarming words that anyone could hear. And I just thought, okay, it doesn't seem related to this disorientation, but it is. Because God is speaking and saying to me, hey, dummy, I'll do it again. I'll do it again. And he did. And so, I'm going to say to you, if you're in disorientation, I am reoriented to the nth degree right now. I know disorientation is coming because that's the way life works. But I'm going to ride this wave. But I will say to you, if, if you're still in disorientation, God moves in mysterious ways. And he's working in your life right now to bring peace, joy, and reorientation. He's doing it. And he'll do it again. Let's pray. Father, uh, uh, thank you that you're a faithful God, even when we're not. We thank you that uh, you work in our lives through through all the dark and depressing, disorienting events of our lives. And just help us to have a deeper faith, a deeper trust, and great patience as, as we allow you to work. Father, I pray for those uh, this morning who are in the depths of depression or deorientation, disorientation, and we pray that you'll help them along with all of us to see that there are brighter days coming. We thank you in Jesus' name.